You're listening to DraftKings Network. Maybe it's like the stars are a little like they're stars, not the stars, the Vegas Golden Knights stars. This is fucking annoying. I don't know how anybody <laughs> covers the Dallas stars. I get so annoyed. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Too Many Men. My name is Allison Lucan. And as always, I am joined by Bridesmaid of the Year, Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you? Oh, I'm hurting for multiple reasons. Definitely that. And also the Celtics. I don't want to talk about it. I'm distraught. I know a lot of our listeners are South Florida based. And let me just say, your teams keep ruining my life. So congrats on that one. (laughs) And we, of course, would not be anything without the athletics. Shayna Goldman, who is a house decorator extraordinaire. Again, another reason to check out the YouTube. Shayna, say hi. Hi. All right, my friends, here we go. It is, uh, as the games reduce, when everything's supposed to be focused on hockey, apparently uh, the rest of the hockey teams got pissed off and said, no, pay attention to us and stomp their feet. So here we go, Sarah. It is time for your favorite segment. Bit-O News. Bit-O News. All right, my friends, um, First and foremost, uh, we know that there are some hiring conversations going on. We do want to touch on quickly that there is a chance that by the time you hear this, that Calgary will have made an announcement. Uh, Shana, we were talking about this a little bit before we got on air. It's not official as of the time that we are talking here now, but we think we're hearing who the next GM of the Flames will be. Walk us through it. Yeah, it sounds like they're hiring Craig Conroy to be their next GM after Bradtree Living is no longer with the team. Was that a mutual parting of ways? It feels like that's the trend this year. Um, the candidates they had were very old school, have been around the block a million gajillion times, and everyone was like, no, no, once more. And uh, so it looks like this is the past path of least resistance for them, considering who they were contemplating. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on this general manager because of the contracts in place in Calgary to really maximize this in next year. They put a lot into it and obviously fell short. So it'll be interesting to see how anyone navigates this, right? Like how can you keep it current? But well, I think of the general manager options, this one probably gives them the best shot at that because everyone else was that bad. All right. Honestly, I had no idea who this was. Sarah, did you know who this was? Do you have any thoughts? I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I'm glad you said it because I was like, that sounds like just a made up hockey name. Like, okay, Craig Conroy, but he's been did the research because we do have a podcast to run people. And he was part of the Flames front office for the past 12 years doing utility stuff. So he has been kind Special of... Special assistant, the Dwight Schrute of the yes, Flames front Yes, office. exactly. He's been kind of the like right-hand man to traveling and everybody. Um, I don't like that. I mean, why not bring in someone new, but maybe I just am team chaos and maybe they don't, it's the same. How does this affect Rodford Demore's Hall of Fame status? But he was in the hurricane system for so long and didn't get a chance to coach the way he wanted to until he was put in that position. So like, I will give Craig Conroy fake ass name a chance. We also know that uh, Pittsburgh is working through an interview process. 
Uh, but we'll be talking about that a little bit more here. There's been some candidates reported, but as of right now, no news there. And there may be multiple hires there. We will wait and see. Um, but there are also coaching hires that are on the horizon. Calgary, of course, will have one. We assume they're going to wait for the GM to be named. But when it comes to coaching hires, unfortunately, we have to go on to a segment we have been blessed to not have to talk about in a while, and that is the shit list. And y'all, I don't know who I'm more mad at, the action itself or the way it's being reported, but here we go. Apparently, Quenville, our favorite head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks, who feels it's completely right to write glowing endorsements of people who have literally sexually assaulted players. Joel Quenville um, was banned officially, was that right? From the league after um, yes. obviously the awful, awful, awful events surrounding the abuse of Kyle Beach in Chicago. And apparently he's meeting with GM Gary Bettman uh, to review his status. I have yet to see any of the major uh, media members of the hockey world report that this review is happening without, uh, with, I should say, mentioning why there has to be a review in the first place. So that's why I'm mad at that. But then the fact that this is happening is also very concerning. Sarah, your take on should we even be having this review and how can we ask media to be better again and again and again? And we're still here with this is how this is getting reported. Yep, the framing of this has been ridiculous for, like you said, what they're not saying, but also what they are saying. They're framing it as veteran coach Joel Quenneville. Like, I know he's your buddy, and I know he was nice to you maybe a few times, had a few beers, whatever, but it's not okay what he did, like, on such a functional level and what he knew and what he didn't do. So I just want to know, we need to have better reporting on this all around, first of all, from the framing, but second of all, they need to not let up on letting us know exactly what the report says, like what what he did to rehabilitate himself, if he actually did, and what steps he's continuing to take to learn from his mistake, not mistakes, but just like not make sure that never, ever happens again. We have 15,000 insiders trying to figure out the exact time of the phone call uh, between Kyle, Kyle Dubas and, and Brendan Shanahan, but no one can seem to look into that. I agree. Um, to that point, Shane, I want to get your thoughts more on that exact topic is that um, friend of the pod, Jeff Merrick, who we do respect a lot. I was listening to his radio show last week and even he, to his credit, was trying to to talk about this. And all he could come up with was he thought he knew of one event um, surrounding the idea of diversity, I should say. Uh, it was put on by the Carnegie uh, Institute, I do believe. But he was still even trying to piece this together as he was talking about it on air. And he was getting information from people to help inform saying it. But to your point, Sarah, that just shows like we don't we don't even have like notable moments we can point to of work that this man has done. And a good reporter like Jeff Merrick, a great reporter like Jeff Merrick, is trying to still piece together one singular event since this man has been banned. I know we've talked about this before, but to Sarah's point, what more should we be expecting to see before we would even consider it possible for this man to return to a coaching job in the NHL? Yeah, we need to see something tangible, right? Like we need to see that he's made an effort. I think it was Tom Strands who had a really good tweet about this saying, like, Joe Quimble was a really great guy. Like, you know, 
know his impression of him was great. He was so impressed by him, but it doesn't matter because of what he's done. And that's, it's still, it's, that's exactly it. We need to see what he's done to know he was in the wrong. He can't take back what he did. We know that an apology to Kyle Beach would be a huge start, I think, but just showing he understands what was wrong about that and why that winning isn't, it's not the end all be all that you can't stop at nothing to carry on with the championship caliber team. Like that commitment to the game is great and wonderful, but you have to be a human first. And I think he needs to show that whether it's going through some sort of counseling, whether it's working with abuse victims, whether it's something like there's a lot that can be done here. And it's so disingenuous for it to be reported the way it is. And it also bothers me that no teams are mentioned. If Quenville doesn't just get a meeting with Bettman, a team has to request, I think that Mm. they want Quenville and then request this meeting. So if there is a meeting happening, which it's being reported, sounds like there is, who asked? Why are we protecting the team that's asking for this? Because the team has to be held accountable for even wanting to hear from Quenville, right? They have to say, we know he's done X. Therefore, it's not like anyone's giving Quenville a microphone. I get that. It might not be as easy for him to get to the media, even though I'm sure he has an agent and a publicist who can handle that. But the team should be questioned just as much on why they feel this man deserves a chance to have one of 32 NHL head coaching jobs. That's all that there is in the entire world. If you want to coach at this level, like that's a privilege. What has he done to earn it? I want to hear a team give us something too, that they would even bother talking to him. But the fact that it's not being reported, it feels like we're protecting the team so they don't get negative blowback when, sorry, if this is what you do, that like, here's the consequences of my actions. So it just... The whole thing really bugs me because nobody wants to have the conversation that you need to have. And if you want to bring him back into the league or Stan Bowman, someone who is in the mix for the Calgary job, as was Mark Bergevin, like shocker, Calgary keeps going in the wrong direction, human wise. Like, why are teams, why are teams thinking this is okay? What what have they done different? Nobody, nobody wants to even talk about it. They just want to like sweep it under the rug and just keep talking to them. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch uh, what happens there. Um, again, as we have talked about, um, there could be room, but there has to be room for understanding that appropriate work has been done before we just say, oh, you've been out. You're a good coach. Hey, come back. Um, and that right. applies to our other not friend of the podcast, Mike Babcock, whose name is being oh circulated as well. Let's yes. not forget, not friend of Why? the podcast, very much not friend of the podcast, Mike Babcock. Has to show he's changed too. We're having the conversation about Quinville. Let's lap them all together. If you're going to keep recycling coaches, why? He had one good run in Detroit with the best team of arguably all time. And now we can't let him go. He sucks as a person and as a coach. And we cannot let this man go. Like what? It's just that is the one that gets me because there's not even, oh, he's a good guy. Oh, and maybe he did change. He's still not a good coach. Oh. Don't even get me started. At least, at least Quinville, we know. Look at the Florida Panthers now. The foundation of that team, we can have a conversation all day about Quinville, what he does on the ice. The Florida yes. Panthers right now, he came in and fixed. Andrew Burnett was handed the keys. Paul Maurice has tweaked what he started. Like, there's, I get it, right? I get mm-hmm. it from the on-ice perspective. If you can figure out everything else to make him seem like a actual human being. But Mike Babcock, what has he done? What has he What has he done besides been an asshole to his players, which yes, every coach is, but to a point that it was that bad. Literally. We'll, we'll talk about that more as this story develops. Hopefully it doesn't develop much further, but I do not have faith that it won't. Everyone exactly. keeps manifesting Mike Babcock. Stop. Yeah, we had this conversation like... last year. Stop. 
<laughs> All right. Well, uh, enough for the shit list for this week. Uh, we have some other entrants that we might be bringing back uh, soon. And as Sarah said, unfortunately, we might know who they may be. Um, but now, y'all, they just keep demanding our attention. Shayna, what time is it? Time for How Does It Affect the Leaves. I'm so excited for this one. And people were on, people wanted to know our thoughts as this was happening. They're like, I can't wait for the next Too Many Men. Well, you're very, you're very lucky because here we are. After Brendan Shanahan clearly listened to us. Yes. Well, yes. So uh, let's let's lay out the facts. Um, what we know is that um, after Kyle Dubas's press availability, which we talked about in detail last episode. Uh, on Friday, it was announced that Kyle Dubas was not going to be continuing with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Brendan Shanahan came out that afternoon and outlined a very detailed timeline involving the fact that there had been intentional conversations, including details of a contract um, held between Brandon Shanahan and Kyle Dubas's agent. Uh, there was supposed to be a contract in place, um, but then unsurprisingly, when Brendan Shanahan heard what Kyle Dubas said in his availability, he started to have questions raised in his mind. And it has been reported, we are obviously not in Toronto, but it has been reported that even throughout this last week that Kyle Dubas was going into the office and reporting daily um, to work, but then uh, did not uh, address the concerns that he raised, that being Kyle Dubas in his own press conference with Shanahan, until I believe the timeline was Thursday when some new terms were outlined to the organization in terms of, in terms of some revisions to the contract. And at that point, uh, Brendan Shanahan made the decision. Well, we actually aren't sure how much the board or just Brendan Shanahan was involved, but the decision was made not to bring Kyle Dubas back. Um, look, y'all, I, I saw this coming and it's not necessarily right um, I had some really thoughtful conversations with Emily Jo Michelle, a friend of the pod, um, who pointed out that it's wrong to punish someone for sharing their feelings. And while I think she's right, I think this is the unfortunate reality of how business works. And I think that unfortunately, and listen, the last, when I was in corporate America, the reason I left isn't because I wasn't good at it. It's because I didn't love it. And I didn't have, wait for it, the passion to do my job to the best of my ability every single day. And when you don't have that, you're not at your best and you're not doing your best. And that was what concerned me about Kyle Dubas's comments and why I was pretty sure that the leadership was going to remove him. Now, to Emily Joe's points, when we talked about this, I think there needs to be more discussion about how do we not get here? How do we make sure that leadership knows this is how their GM or their person in any role is feeling before they have to blurt it out publicly and that's the first time you're hearing it? And further, if you have to make a decision like this because of your concerns, and in my opinion, another thing that mattered to it was the timing because unfortunately, Kyle Dubas doesn't have all the time in the world to decide what he wants to do because there's a draft coming, free agency is coming, Austin Matthews contracts conversations are coming. Do we as professional organizations need to find a way to make space to care for our employees, even if they can't be in that role, to care for them and support them um, if they can't fulfill the current job? Maybe there's some other situation where we can continue to keep them in the fold. I don't know. I've talked a lot about this. I was right. Sarah, what did you think? You were right. You're just like a communications pro and you see, you read between the lines well, and you were right. I, 
I just think if it got to that point, to your point, where he's publicly making that statement, he's a very smart guy. He's one of the smartest guys in hockey, and he's one of the most like emotionally intelligent guys in hockey for sure, too, with just what he said and how players react to him and respect him. So I think there must have been so much going on behind the scenes that he had already made sort of a decision and was like, okay, the contract's not contracting in the way that he wanted it to. And was like, okay, while we're here, well, this is just my theory, but okay, while we're here, why don't I just bring up this aspect of it too and not care who I piss off because I'm pissed off. That's how it sounded to me. Yeah. And there's, I I will say this is one element I'm not familiar with and I've seen some people alluding to it. So I don't really know the specifics, but folks, this while I do think that comment was the straw that broke the camel's back, it's not like everything was amazing. And all of a sudden, Brendan Chanhan was like, oh, my God, get him out of here. Um, these kind of things don't happen overnight. Kyle Dubas's frustration and pain doesn't happen overnight, nor does the things that happen that lead to the decision by the Leafs leadership happen overnight. But there have been some allusions to the fact that there was also some elements of control that had been going on between the autonomy that Kyle Dubas wanted to have in his decision-making. Shayna, just again, this is going to be the lightning rod moment that everyone's going to point to, but we know there can be a lot of dysfunction in this Maple Leafs organization. And that's not just Kyle Dubas's fault. Some of it has to be because whether or not he authorized it, that's his job, but there is a lot of dysfunction here. Are there other tells that you see were leading to this ultimately being the outcome? Yeah. Like here's the thing that gets me it feels like there was a lot building to this moment. Like you said, things like the, there were decisions that were made that it seems like Shanahan or higher up next. So there was, like you said, that, that element of control, that was a problem. It was that there wasn't the faith maybe to extend him sooner. Maybe there's a conversation to have that if he had a contract right now, would this be the situation? Like there's so many different things that I think come into this, but it does feel like, Based on what Shanahan said, based on the reporting, everyone was okay with Dubas staying on until that press conference. And it does, to me, feel like the decision was made in less than a week to change course on everything that's been building to this point. I wonder how much it was them looking at them. Like, it's like he had one moment of being human. And the fact that he hesitated was the deal breaker, right? Because if he's hesitating and saying, I'm ready to be the GM, I'm ready for the tough decisions, which might mean breaking loyalty, which is something Dubis is known for, right? The loyalty to keep, the loyalty to the core players that he has kept in place this entire time when there's been conversations of trading players sooner, like Nylander, you go back to that contract situation. Well, I think you make the argument, it worked out for the right way for the Leafs being loyal to certain players. The fact is they might, it might've been, that was the straw that broke the camel's back of everything they know about him to this point of, if you're hesitating, you're not, you don't have the stomach to do what we need you to do next. And while I understand that, I hate that is, it is like he was human for one second because he did turn around and say, you know what? I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this next step and I'm ready for this next challenge. And maybe it wasn't a strong enough I'm ready that they needed to hear, but I don't know. There was something about his humanness that I did like in it, but it does feel like there were problems building below the surface that we just don't know about until now, right? Right. Like you said, like there's a power struggle there. But, but I, I think the thing, is, but the thing is like, this is the thing, like this is where I'm, this is so nuanced. And I honestly would love for this to be like a case study, like from a business perspective and just break this all down because Kyle, it's not, join the podcast and give us your perspective so we can honestly, have a case study. Kyle, but, you're listening. Please join. But, but seriously, like, here's the thing, like there's a, there's an adage that people say and 
those of us who are in long-term relationships or have been married understand this, you can't say divorce. Once you say divorce, you can't take it back. And that's a similar thing that happened here. It's not that this isn't because he showed weakness or it was a moment of humanity. The fact of what happened was he could not say that he was committed to doing this job to the best of his ability. If you are freaking a manager at McDonald's and your person says, I don't know if I'm willing to do this work, are you going to keep that person around? Like this, this is the struggle. And while I just think we need to be very careful saying that this was a judgment on uh, acknowledging mental health or showing humanity, that's not what this was about. This was about a level of commitment and readiness to do the job at hand. Yeah. Sarah, you were going to say something. I was going to say when Shana kept saying, I'm ready, I just thought about SpongeBob. <laughs> he needed to go, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. But I, yes, all these points are very valid. And once you put something like that out in the open, you cannot take it back for better or for worse. So maybe just that don't was a hold Hail the Mary. press conference, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're contemplating it, step right. away for a minute, right? I guess yeah. that's too, like, if you're contemplating, like, you're like, if you're saying divorce, why, like, why would you go tell your kids? We might get divorced if you don't know. You would say, wait a second. Wait, like, there's there's that. You're right. You're totally right on that. Mm -hmm. right. Just It is funny, though. You look at Shanahan's track record a little bit more, too. And sometimes you do have to go, like, it, is he now the one to steer things in the right way? Like, yeah. he hired Babcock. He brought in Mark Hunter. Uh, I think it was uh, Jonas Siegel wrote a story outlining this that I, re I read right before this, like, brush up. Um, and it, it does go through it like he was the one that agreed to Lou Lamorello there too and then he was the one in charge for a while like a lot of the failings are on him and that's absolutely right here so it is kind of funny to see like he's still the one that's going to be left over and now everyone's going well the decision making here might be get worse like yeah it exactly. might look at what he's done to this point Dubas well, has made things a lot better well and I think that's that's the because now there are reports that Kyle Dubas has been granted permission to interview with Pittsburgh after to Kyle Dubas's credit previously he had said it would be Toronto or nowhere um, and listen, doesn't that I, change when you get fired? You, it, I, well, balls are off the table. Get fired. Right? I just get don't fired. understand. Yeah. Well, go okay. Ahead, yes. But go ahead, yeah. let's Sarah go. I just don't understand the benefit of saying it's Toronto or nowhere. So maybe he was just really speaking from the heart, but I just don't get that. Yeah. I think Well, I, everyone it, did I think, think he was going to leverage it, right? No, I don't. Everyone see, thought he was going to leverage Pittsburgh. Well, I think that's fair. And I think that you know, again, there there were some people who immediately after the press conference with Shanahan, they were like, this was a they fired him because he wanted more money. I'm like, can, can we our, use our ears to hear the sounds coming from his mouth? That's not what they <laughs> no. said. Also, who cares about money? It's your well, Toronto Maple Leafs. You have the deepest pockets. The money's not the problem. Well, but if you want to be the problem. It's it's you also you also cake it raked across the coals and pay to you. You have to pay to proper value, whatever that means to you. Yeah. But I think to your point, Shane, like there's so much behind this like yes kyle dubas the first time everyone heard kyle dubas say that shouldn't have been in front of media in a healthy organization that is frustration that's already being expressed to your leadership and if your leadership isn't built in such a way to your point of shanahan to allow for a healthy environment to express that that's a problem so again this isn't a good cop bad cop everyone's at fault here um, and I think what concerns me, there's two things that concern me about this. First of all, I think part of the problem why everyone's so mad is, as you said, Shana, 
I don't know how Toronto gets better now. Like Kyle Dubas is excellent. I'm a fan of Kyle Dubas. I like Kyle Dubas. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus in everything I've said either. But also I, with that being said, I'm a little concerned because I feel like now we're like Kyle Dubas is God and he's perfect. Listen, he's had to be a GM in the NHL. He's had to do some shitty things. And again, we talked about, there are some concerns about the health of this organization in general, whether or not Kyle Dubas put in those processes and that culture if he can't change it or fix it or allows it, that's his fault too. So like no one's perfect. We talk about the the faults of hero worship all the time. I think Kyle Dubas is a great guy from what I know of him. I think he's a great general manager, but he's not perfect. Um, but I don't know how the Leafs get better from here. Sarah, with some of the names we're seeing now, we're even hearing they're going to go to Bettman to get recommendations on the next GM. Do you have any thoughts how the Leafs get any better? Or is this the beginning of a, I don't want to say teardown, but of kind of a reshaping of the Leafs. Yeah, the league is biased against the Leafs, but they're going to Gary Bettman for recommendations. That makes sense. Riddle me that, Leafs fans. But I, I, mean, I don't like that. I don't think Dubas was ever the problem. And if he was the problem, it was like he already had made mistakes from years ago that are the problem. So now it's like it's a tough spot for the Leafs because what could they have done other than I guess firing him to make their team better right now. You can't the coach. It's not moving the needle for me. I just think it's either like this isn't the squad you win with or it is. And you just, they got to the second, they improve. The problem for me is also that they improved this year. Yep. Like they made it to the second round. Not easy to do. And I know that's not Not easy for for them. Yeah, exactly. And I know that's not good enough for people and it shouldn't be, but I do think it's a clear sign of progression and Kyle made good moves to make that happen. So I don't, it's just a really tough spot right now. What would have been good enough? It, it finding someone to make the tough decisions now, right? That's what yeah. they're going to look for. They're going to say, we didn't know if Kyle had the stomach to make the tough decisions because he's a very loyal guy. Does he have it in him to fire Keith? Does he have it in him to trade one of Marner or Nylander if necessary, which is ridiculous, but you know, this is what everyone's saying you have to do or figure out what to do with Matthews and play hardball, especially when they might look at it and go, well, you didn't play hardball very well with Nylander back in the day and things like that. Like all of that, I'm sure, is going into it. Now they want someone who can make tough decisions. That's, I feel like, what it comes down to because Dubas did good work. I think our bar is so low for general managers that we're saying, look at all the good work he did. He did bad work too. And he had problems along the way with ownership and Shanahan nixing moves as well. Like, it's not like it's been a perfect process. It's not like he was a perfect GM. Some would say he invested too much in his core. I think we're all of the opinion you invest in your core and figure out the rest, which I think he did a good job of. But now you want someone who can make the tough decisions. How are you going to get better? If you, it's someone who can make the tough decisions might be Bradtree Living, who we see his name back in the mix because he's someone that knew he had to trade Kachuk and he knew to let Johnny Gaudreau go because it wasn't going to happen for him. Like he has made tough decisions and flipped around his core. Did it work out? No, but he did it. He's changed coaches. He did that too. Like it just feels like the bar is going to lower no matter what. You, how are you getting better? Someone might have fresh ideas, right? A new message, new voice, new thoughts. It's not like that's a bad thing for the Leafs and maybe that's what they need now. Sure. But who out there is going to make the tough decisions you claim you need without fucking up this team entirely and setting the team back when they worked all the way to get up here? I struggle with that. Going to be interesting for sure to watch. Um, but again, that Kyle Dub- I mean, again, there's just so much fault to go around. But here we are, another GM opening, and Kyle Dubas may be in Pittsburgh sometime soon. Let's get to actual hockey that's happening. 
um, on the ice. And speaking of the fact that Toronto gets uh, basically swept, uh, the team that basically swept them is now currently uh, sweeping <laughs> through two games. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Florida Panthers, my friends, um, this series, this team, this is just insane. We have game one that goes to quadruple overtime this is i must say the first time that the conference finals have had all four of the first games in it all go to overtime we've been getting bonus hockey to make up for the fact that there's only two series left but carolina is now currently winless in conference finals um, since they won their stanley cup but Carolina has looked somewhat okay. They're a little bit of the Corsi Canes. They've had to change up goaltenders. They're getting bobbed a bit. They're getting Matthew Kachucked a bit. Um, the Panthers are just seemingly unstoppable right now. Let's look at this series from two sides. And first, the winning side. We look at these Panthers. We've got an insane goal from Barkov in game two also. So the talent is coming from all over the place. Shayna, let's not talk about Bob. What else is working for Florida right now? Um, I think for Florida, the thing is like they kind of combine what the Canes have already seen. They were they're, they're a good forechecking team now, and they're a good rush based team. So it takes round one, round two, puts it together, and now add a physical flair to it with a lot of star power. We talk about the Canes missing star power. The Panthers have it, and those are the players rising to the occasion. Barkov was a little quieter, and we saw Verhage and Duclair standing out a little bit more to this point. Now Barkov's coming up with the key goals, and Matthew Kachuk is doing his thing, scoring and rushing off the ice. I mean, I love everything about it. It feels like that's a big thing for them. But they're also like, they're just like rising to the occasion, right? You, it's not just, oh, they're the worst team, they're the better team in this. It's here's the moment they're taking it a little bit more. Yes, it took four overtimes to get there um, in game one, but... I don't know. There's just something about this team. Like they're not getting deflated by the fact that their power play isn't doing very well. And even their penalty kill hasn't been perfect, but it feels like at even strength, they're playing the right way. And like game two, you see the matchups, the matchups worked for the Canes in game one and Jordan Stahl is going against Barkov and Verhage, but it was Kokaniemi who got Kachuk in game one. And it did work pretty well for the Panthers, but in game two, they kept that matchup and Kachuk's line just dominated play in those minutes. So I just think that they're getting what they need from the top of their lineup right now. And I think that's pretty big for them because we've seen contributions from everyone to this point and this whole team-wide effort, but it feels like they're just putting all the pieces together to just keep getting a little bit better each game. Sarah, if you look at the underlying numbers, Carolina is owning not just the shot volume, but the shot quality battle. And they're right in this. Again, both of these games have required overtime, but they find themselves down in the series 2-0. Is the series score misrepresenting what these games are like and how close they are? Or is the series score exactly what it should be based on what you're seeing in these two games? No, it's exactly what you should be. And it's exactly what the Panthers have showed themselves as the team that can rise to the occasion and capitalize on any bad bounce. They're so good at playing in these close games to make them feel much less close than they actually are. And that's been happening all playoffs. And then you look at, this is who Max Pacioretty is. He's somebody that capitalizes on these rare moments. This is who Andrei Svechnikov is. He can capitalize on a bad bounce. This is who Tavo Cheravainen had been before he broke his hand and before this kind of off season. And without those three, you're starting to see, like the Canes had managed before and they're a really good, well-structured team, but you're starting to see now where that elusive star power is so, so important in the playoffs. 
All right, let's get to it then. Let's talk about Bob. Um, the man has been incredible. Our good friend Prashant Ayer has been putting out some work on Twitter, just showing how insane his performance has been in terms of preventing goals that should go in. Um, this is vintage Bob um, that we've talked about. Some are making the joke that he's finally earning that $10 million a year after not for so long. But um, can you put into perspective what we're seeing from Sergei Bobrovsky right now, Shana? Yeah, like this is someone who, you know, it's it. you look at game one and he saved what, five point something goals above expected, right? And you kind of expect that in a game that's going to go on that long. The other records are uh, Thatcher Demko and Igor Shosturkin. Those are multiple overtime games. Game two, though, he was the difference. And the shot counting might have been a little bit wonky that game. Um, it, it seemed like there should have been more value on a couple of like the Panthers attempts and things like that. Uh, but that that game, he saved, what, three and a half goals above expected still. And that's, that's you know, a game that just went to overtime and didn't last very long. That wasn't two games put together. And that's what he's doing. He's the difference right now. And we were unsure of how we'd be starting this many games in a row. And the rest in between seems to have worked for him, you know, and he had rest going into round one as well when he when he like rejoined the team. But I think we're just seeing him him stand tall and like rise to the moment, which has been a problem his entire career. You can speak to that. It feels like there's something to him being an underdog almost that works for him a little bit more because when we go, oh, my God, look at this incredible regular season. Now bring it to the playoffs. He falls apart. Oh, my God, he's going to crush it. He just crumbles. But then if you look at the other way, we're like, Bob, do we know there's someone right there who could take the net from him who did at one point? Like, maybe it's a different conversation. Like, I'm not so sure about him. Maybe they can do it by committee. And he's like, no, no, no. I am the starter now. This is my ship and I'm going to fucking kill it. And it's like, all right, good for you. Good for you. It's incredible what he's doing Uh, over like a seven game span. No one's had numbers like this. That's so impressive. Sarah, one of the things we've been talking about this playoffs, too, is how teams aren't necessarily all riding one goaltender. We've seen Carolina go with a couple different looks. I do believe the report is they're going back to Freddie for game three. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but yeah. on the flip side, is Carolina's goaltending fine and just being overshadowed by Bob? Do you mind the strategy that Rod Brindamore has gone with with his goaltenders? Yeah, I think it's actually a good strategy when you think about like how all of these goaltenders have performed in the past and they haven't been able to step up to the plate in the way the Hurricanes have needed, but they haven't been horrible. And they've all been pretty cool with their bounce back efforts. Like they don't really get upset when the net isn't theirs anymore, or at least they don't show it in their performances. So I think this is a good approach for them, but that they just need to have that, like the shooting percentage needs to go up. They need to have better, more dangerous chances. That's my problem with them right now. But Borowski, it's just so funny that you never know what's going to happen in the playoffs. And I mean, he had the resume before in some ways, but I just never expected him to come back like this. And I, people on Twitter are trying to make anybody of it. Like Panthers fans think the world is plotting against them. Like, I'm sorry, like nobody's plotting against you. We all really like this team and like watching it. And like, you, you don't, I thought you didn't have annoying fans, but now I'm like, oh my God, I guess anybody, any fan base gets to the playoffs and gets to the Eastern Conference Finals and or the Western Conference Finals, and they start being really annoying. So I am not plotting on your downfall. I love what Barofsky's doing, and I said on this podcast that I think you should win the Conn Smythe. I still think that right now. And I love Matt. I literally am obsessed with Matthew Kachuk, so I don't know what you want me to do. One Hart Trophy, one Conn Smythe, I think, balances yeah. out the MVPs all around. 
Allison, mm-hmm. you know Bobrovsky well from Columbus. You have seen him have his underdog moment. It feels like there's a book on how to beat him. Like we're seeing the breakdown from Hank too on how to beat him, where his weaknesses might be. Do you think the Canes are targeting those weaknesses enough from what you've seen? Yeah, I I don't I don't know that I can say that um, because you know also too I think that in these like so many of the gays of the goals have been chaotic um, or just such elite skill plays that um, it's just skill just just coming over I'm more worried about because when I think about how long it's been since I have directly covered Bobrovsky I do continually now more so go to the rest because this is just an age factor coming into play for me that's what I'm most interested in watching for um and you know the one goal I commented on this on Twitter too like he's always been so vulnerable to the lateral pass the challenge of lateral movement in net by him and, you know, there have been a couple goals scored on him like that. So I, I can see that coming. But then again, that's how Florida has been scoring, too. So, again, it's just we're at the point Those where pretty goals in game one. And yeah. Well, even in game. T- I mean, my gosh, the Barkov goal. Well, I mean, we're talking about the other team now, but the Barkov, goal, the other goaltender. But the Barkov goal was just insane, even though Matt, we do love Matthew Kachuk. But the Barkov goal was my my favorite one that we I, had. I love when we were starting to get the fake Michigans and it was Huberto who I think was the first player to do that. The NHL was like just giving you that threat. I loved it. And like the between the legs goal, the Michigan are the two flashy ones we all turn to, but the fake between the legs, yeah. like that's mm-hmm. so ballsy to yeah. attempt mm-hmm. to pull off. It was gorgeous. Well, and the bigger definitely question, got like luck and vibes on their side. And that has shown through things like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's go to the West Um, in a bit of a wonky schedule. That game yesterday, Sunday was weird, but okay, we'll take it Um, again. Two games, two overtimes. We do actually have goals coming from Jason Robertson again. So that's a positive. Um, But Dallas is down 0-2 to Vegas. Um, This is interesting because in the other two rounds of this year's playoff, Dallas lost both of their game ones in overtime, but came back to win game two. And I will say right up until when was the the tying goal scored with like three minutes, two minutes, two and a half minutes, 220. Yeah. Like I thought, okay, here we go. And I, and I thought Dallas looked in control of the game and I thought Dallas looked good. Um, I thought that Vegas had been a little bit more undisciplined, even though Dallas allowed a five on three, which was a bit nutty to me. Um, I, this is a series, you know, I asked Sarah this before. I thought that this is a series where I do think it should be tied one, one and not down two Oh, um, with Vegas up. But Sarah, what are you seeing out of the Western conference final right now? Does this series score reflect what our eyes have seen happening on the ice accurately? It's it- I know I haven't been a fan of the stars like throughout, not throughout the playoffs, but I wanted the Kraken to win because they're more exciting. And I think Vegas is kind of exposing why I thought they would win all along because they do have that like pep in their step to them. And it's very hard to describe to me. Like I'm trying to be like, why do I just expect this team to keep coming back and keep winning and not even in games they might not look the best in I think they just figure it out maybe it's like the stars are a little like their stars not the stars the Vegas Golden Knight stars this is fucking annoying I don't know how anybody <laughs> covers the Dallas stars I get so annoyed but their stars have just are a little younger maybe I don't know if I'm making that out but I just think it they just seem faster and more modern of a team to me that's so stupid but it's just like what I feel 
Those are the vibes. Shayna, what's, yeah. what's working for Vegas? And do you think this series is accurate with Vegas holding a two to nothing games advantage right now? I don't think it's accurate. And it's like, so game one, Vegas was outright the better team. They they were so much better at five on five. I think we all know Dallas is going to have the special teams advantage, but five on five play is going to be really big in the series. And in game one, they had William Carlson up against Jason Robertson's line, and they did a really good job containing them. Yes, Robertson got on the board. And I think that was the most important thing for Dallas to really like get that breakthrough because now you can see the chances are going to start. Like the confidence is there because he was good last round, but he just didn't have the results to show for it. But in game two, Vegas was the hotter starting team, and they've been really good off the rush. We know they're a really good rush-based team. We know Dallas generally is better at containing the rush and hasn't done a great job of it. But then the game kind of settled down and the stars started taking over again. They were better. Robertson's line was better. It felt like everything was working in their favor. And then similar to game one, you have that spoiler goal from the team that's not playing as well. The difference is, you know, it it, it feels like the Golden Knights really bookended game two. They were the better team to start. They were the better team to finish. Once they got that tying goal, it was it, like it, it was all in their favor. The crowd was up and going crazy and the players were rising to the occasion a little bit more too. I would say it does feel like it should be a tied series because the stars were the better team at the majority of the time. But then again, if you can't, you can't capitalize on those key moments of the game and they did in game one to tie it and force overtime, but in game two, they couldn't hold their lead. It's going to be a problem. And Jake Ottinger in his last nine games has one quality start. It came in game seven against Seattle, which was a game we talked about a lot of the shot blocking versus the actual shot creation of the Kraken. It's not like I'm as impressed. Um, but it's a little concerning because he was fantastic in round one, but now you see two games. He's a little bit below average and the stars aren't doing enough to support that. So I do kind of think it should be a tied series, but like if the stars can't find that, like, you know, own the moment of having the better game, then you don't deserve to win in, in, you know, in the first place. Shana, yeah. this is why I love you because I was talking about the vibes that I can't explain. And it's literally the rush. Like they're so good on the rush and that, yeah just matters it's speedy it catches your yeah. attention right yeah. you're watching them have literally <laughs> attract me you can't not watch up oh, there's mark stone streaking down the ice up yeah. oh, there's chandler stevenson yeah and it's just like you can't turn away from it and then players like march and eichel which by the way i'm going to talk shit about the broadcast five seconds here which i could do all day they're saying like well you don't think about jack eichel with this skating and i'm sitting there like this man is one of the best players in transition. He's one of the best players at exiting the zone, entering the zone, creating shots off They wax philosophical about why it is good to recycle coaches for three minutes, and I wanted to shoot myself. Oh, my God. Give me a goddamn break. I'm sorry. I'm okay. I should stop why are, I say anything. I get it with DeBoer in there, right? Like, DeBoer seems like he's I, – I never liked him. I will be completely honest. Growing up, he was the <laughs> coach of the Devils. I didn't like him because I was a fan of the team that he went up against pretty often. Mm. I didn't love him with San Jose. It felt like with Vegas, he was a little bit fresher and kind of brought a little bit more of what they needed, but he still had flaws. And maybe he's the right fit for Dallas. You can be a recycled coach and be the right fit at the right time for another team. It feels like Paul Maurice is trying to prove all of us wrong. And maybe he had ideas and just was a stale voice in Winnipeg, right? That doesn't mean recycled coaches are the only answer in this league until mm -hmm. like, look at that and go, well, the final four teams have X. Another instance what? back to, and I'm being serious. I'm not trying to be funny. Paul Maurice took himself out of the situation because he couldn't fully commit and yep. be at his best self. And that's the point that I was trying to make with Kyle Dubas too. Anyway, I personally wouldn't be at my best self in that locker room either. I'd be like, well, get yeah. me the fuck yeah. out. The players don't want to be accountable. <laughs> don't hold me accountable either. I'm done here. He's smart of him. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, how could I wanted to ask that question exactly of what Shana brought up too about, you know, Jake Ottinger has this 
great aura about him, this narrative of what an exceptional goaltender he is, highly draft, high draft pick, you know. And and again, the pod is fans of Jake Ottinger. We love him. We love his game. But this has not been a stellar postseason for him in total other than round one, as Shana said. Are you concerned about Jake Ottinger? And I'm not saying career-wise. I think this is still a great goaltender. But is there something in his game right now that gives you concern about this team's ability to go deep? Well, now's the time to turn it on, right? Like your team has bailed you out of a few bad, bad starts. And I think now is the time to pay them back for that when things are getting tougher. And the bounce, like the games are being determined by bounces at this point. So it's like you really have to lock in now. So I think his performance next game is going to be his most perform. I mean, obviously you say this as every single game goes on, but it's going to be his most important performance of the postseason. Do we think it's fatigue with him at all? Like he had 48 regular season games last year, plus seven games, the most he ever played. Then he had 62 regular season games played this year, plus a long postseason run. Like he is a young goalie. And we talk about guys like the Devils with Vanacek, right? Like he never played this workload. It looked like it started to weigh on him and he started to come apart. Do we think that's a factor in it at this point? No, I'm not willing to buy it. Just not. You're shaking your head. Why not? I, I just, no, I just, because I, because he's young. And there are other goaltenders who have played more and been able to withstand at a, at a high level. You know, I mean, even look at uh, Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay, right? Like, I, I just, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I, no, I think that's totally fair. It's just, I think with a young goalie, it's a good question to be like, is this like, what of course, is the problem? Of course, I think my mm-hmm. question is a good question. That was funny. Okay. No, I'm, no, I'm not. No, <laughs> I, I don't mean it fine. that it's way. Fine. I just okay. think with a young goalie, there's a combo to have, have like, wh- where did his game go? When you're playing behind a team that is one of the better defensively, like he misplayed the puck for game one. And that was on him. But like, do we put the stars losses fully on him at this point? No, 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 no. I just think that they usually expect him to be more impactful is my point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's watch his uh, game three. I'm with Sarah. I think this is going to be a very important performance for him overall. They'll be back at home. So we'll see what he can do. Uh, But let's wrap this one up, friends. It is time for our favorite game. And that is Fuck, Marry, Kill. Uh, We have on our docket, we're going through those major NHL awards in the order in which they were released. And next up for us is the Masterton Trophy. You got to get all the T's in there. There's like 18 of a Masterton Trophy. Um, And this is for perseverance and commitment to hockey. But lately, it's become more about coming back from something awful and returning to the game at a high level. But but this is a pretty good one. And and Sarah, I'm going to have you go first in terms of fuck, Mary kill these three candidates. Um, I'm already I'm actually not torn, but it's still a good conversation to have. Here are your three candidates. Arizona's Clayton Keller, who came back from a broken femur. Uh, Chris Letang, who we all know and love and, and have great empathy for his story. And of course, Chicago's Alex Stalock. What say you, Sarah Sivian? Yeah, I picked Chris Letang. I think that's an obvious choice this year because I know this is like the old man's award, but this is he's done so much more than just be an old guy. He came back from a stroke for the second time in his career this year and continued to put up numbers. He just has been he's gone through a lot. I think he lost his dad this year, too, and he showed commitment. It's all about showing commitment to the game, like literally what says more than just getting back up after 17 years with the same 
poor in Pittsburgh. Just one more time. Who knows what's happening in the future? But I think he's so deserving of the Masterton to maybe finish off this saga in Pittsburgh. I am fucking Clayton Keller because not only did he come back from that, but he had such a good season. You didn't see it all the time because he was in Arizona during and the, the shit show there was overshadowing that, but he really had a great season and I would be excited to see him play somewhere else. Like let him cook and I'm killing the other ones. All right. I just like, didn't know what's up there. <laughs> Shana, your turn. I'm going to agree. Uh, it's a process of elimination. I'm sorry, Alex, but I have to kill you. Um, but then again, I give you credit for, for pulling, pulling it together on very bad teams too, despite the personal shit. Um, I will fuck Clayton Keller. Like he got, that was, that was a really tough injury to come back from. And also like, you have to look at what he's coming back to, to be committed to the game, to play at a college arena on a joke of a franchise, because the ownership is such a shit storm on a team that is trading out healthy players for dead cap space. Like it's, I feel like that's one that's probably really hard to get up and go to work. Like, yeah, I'm saying that like you're getting up and playing professional hockey. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Okay. But like, I feel like that's gotta be a tough one compared to other teams to like want to be committed every single day to it and then come back from an injury. Like he did Um, all the credit in the world to him. I agree. I hope he gets freed from there very soon because you know, his contract probably is too productive for them to keep anyway. And I will marry Latang. He has gone through so much. And I think he's always been like, such a role model in the way he plays in the leadership qualities of it, of like everything. So no matter what's going on in his life and he has had a lot go on and he's had a lot of shit throughout his career. And, you know, this was a tough year for him. He still gets up there every day and does what he needs to do and still is like such a core member of the Penguins. So uh, a lot of respect to that. This is happening more and more. I agree with both of you. I have nothing more mm. to add. Although I, I do, it, it, this is one of those times like when we talk about how there needs to be another heart trophy if it's always going to go to Connor McDavid because I, I, I mean that coming back from a broken femur and Shane, I think your points are great about coming back to that organization. Like that's, that's huge. I would have loved to have seen in any other year Clayton Keller get that trophy. All right, my friends, I think we've covered it all for now. Uh, there's still games happening. They're coming along a little bit slower, but they're still keeping it interesting. You just have to get in as Florida is showing. We'll see what these series scores are when we talk to you later this week. But keep connected with us. We are on socials at two underscore much underscore man, Instagram and Twitter. Send us your vibe checks. If you're watching these games, going to these games, we'd love to see it. And check out our merch. You can go to TooManyMenMerch.com to find anything that your heart desires. And until we talk again, please do something, no matter how big or small, to make sure that hockey truly is for everyone. We will talk to you soon. Love you. Bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.